I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Danger lurks in the American landscape. No one in their right mind would be out here, which makes it the perfect place to kill. Kill someone. Introducing Hot and Deadly from ID, your podcast for classic American true crime served with a side of biscuits and gravy. On each episode, you'll hear some of ID's most shocking stories of murder and betrayal, from the mystery of a preacher shot and killed by a bow and arrow to a former prom queen gone missing and found murdered. Listen to Hot and Deadly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. When Anne Branson's lifeless body is found at the bottom of her basement stairs... We could see the wound marks in her shirt and uh, the blood on her, and we knew that, that it wasn't natural causes. The discovery shakes the small town of Madisonville, Kentucky, to the very core. It's just like a game of Clue. Did Mr. Plum do it with a candlestick in the library? And the citizens here we'll learn there are a lot more skeletons in the cupboards than bricks on Main Street. Everyone was a suspect in this case, except for me, because I knew where I was on January 12th. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? Smack dab in the middle of Kentucky's coal country is a lump of a town called Madisonville. According to townsfolk, it's the best town on earth. The town motto is best town on earth, and I think most of the people who live here really believe that. You meet people on the street and you smile at them and they're not suspicious at all when you do that. It's just a very good place to live. There's even a song. Madisonville, Kentucky is an idyllic town. It's just your small town Americana, similar in a lot of ways to Mayberry on the Andy Griffith Show. And like Mayberry, the town of Madisonville has its fair share of characters, most notably local businesswoman Ann Branson. Everybody knew Ann. 
she was so glamorous. Hair just perfect, makeup just perfect, and always that little touch of glamour that seemed bigger than life. And I called her Anna Mae, was my aunt. She was my mother's older sister. I called her every Saturday morning, just as I called my own mother every Saturday morning. And she kept me abreast of what was going on in her life. The plucky 85-year-old isn't your typical old-timer. Anna Mae was a very flamboyant person. She enjoyed life to the fullest, but she did not look 85 and certainly did not act 85 years old. Oh, the stories she could tell. Anne grew up fairly wealthy. Her father owned a coal mine, but when she fell in love with a farm boy, they started from scratch and they worked hard and everything that they had, they earned. Anna Mae was a Rosie the Riveter working on P-47 fighter planes. And then after the war, they built their house and a few years later opened the Dairy Queen in 1950. Where Anne and her husband amassed a small fortune. The Dairy Queen was the place where kids hung out. They would circle the queen. We would circle to see who all was out there. And we had to see who was out there uh, buying something. After selling the queen, Anne's husband retired. Anne was looking for something to do. She already had a little bit of rental property. So she began to focus on real estate. And she had quite a knack for it. Anne found that real estate not only gave her a chance to be busy, but gave her a chance to be creative. And she would take old houses and turn them into something beautiful. And then she would rent them and move on to the next house. By the time her husband died in 1994, Anne was quite the real estate mogul with over 40 properties to her name. She had a business mind that would rival someone with an MBA. I admired Anne's business sense, and I admired Anne's ability to be herself. I just admired her all around as just an extraordinary woman. An extraordinary woman, known around town for setting off her own alarm system. Patrol officer Kelly Rager has been on the receiving end of the false alarm. It was routinely about once a day on average. You would go and, and she would be there and she would say, oh, Kelly, I'm okay, are you by yourself? And I would say, Miss Ann, yes, I'm by myself. You can go ahead and open the door for me. She didn't like for gentlemen to see her um, without her makeup and her hair fixed. Sunday, January 12th, 2003 is no different from any other night on North Main Street. Anne Branson attends the 6 p.m. service at the First Baptist Church. After the service, she says her goodbyes. It's a short walk home where Anne settles in for the night. She would turn off the security system. She would immediately turn it back on. She would take off her shoes. Then she would take off her wig and then she would be ready to do whatever she wanted. The next day is Monday, and Anne has a busy day planned. To the bank for a hefty deposit. Lunch with her fiance, and then, if all goes well, dinner and dancing. Anne's not one to ask for help, so it's with hesitation that her fiancé contacts the police when she doesn't answer the door for their lunch date that Monday morning. How long ago did this happen? He saw her car 
was in her garage, so he knew she was home. And when she didn't come to the door, he feared the worst that maybe she'd fainted or had a stroke or something. For Deputy Sheriff Barry Boucher, it's business as usual. We do a lot of responding to uh, check subjects' welfare. Sometimes they were ill, sometimes they'd passed away, but most of the time they were all right. They were somewhere else and the person didn't know they were gone. All seems well on the outside of Ann's house. No signs of forced entry, no broken glass. No, there's not a blade out of place on Ann's immaculate front yard. But if Ann had simply decided to stand her fiancé up, why is her car still parked in the garage? There wasn't any reason at that point that I could see to, to force entrance into the residence. And uh, we called first one of Miss Branson's brothers, and that's how we gained entry into the residence. Ann's brother Earl opens the door, ready to disarm the burglar alarm. But the silence is deafening. So when the search party enters and there's no alarm, it's a little odd. I went to the right toward the living room, Miss Branson's brother, and went straight into the stairwell and announced that they'd found her at the bottom of the stairwell. It's the worst case scenario. Ann Branson is dead. When we could see the body clearly, we could see the wound marks in her shirts and uh, the blood on her, and we knew that, that it wasn't natural causes. Miss Branson had been stabbed to death. We didn't stay very long. Once we discovered it, we left the scene, didn't want to contaminate it. This one's going to require some backup. Lead investigator Scott Troutman drag races custom supercharged GT Mustangs during his off time. He knows about life in the fast lane, but when it comes to investigating crime scenes, he takes it slow and steady. It was suspected that the uh, perpetrator had cleaned up the scene. He had uh, bagged up, we believe, his clothes, uh, the murder weapon, some other things that he might have used to clean himself up with. We were not able to locate any other forensic evidence as far as uh, DNA evidence and stuff. The murder weapon and a clear motive seem to be missing. And when you look at the crime scene, the house is not ransacked, jewelry is not stolen, purse is still sitting there hanging on the back of the chair right by the door. When you take all those uh, things into consideration, it suggests that you know this was not a robbery. There was another motive involved. Between the severe bludgeoning and the repeated stabbing, Troutman knows a crime of passion when he sees one. Whoever did this was emotionally attached to her. If you could have swabbed all of Anna Mae Branson and everything around her and gotten a DNA sample from every particle in and around her body, I'm sure we would have found tears from the perpetrator. He lost control to probably to the point that he was crying and couldn't stop. Jack and Mary Branson are beside themselves with the news. I was brokenhearted. Her, she was like my second mother. I wanted to be able to do something to assist in this investigation and find her killer. 
Three days after the murder, hundreds of mourners show up at Ann Branson's funeral. Everyone who walked into that funeral home to me became a suspect. I just kept looking at everyone and thinking, could this person have done it? And no matter how much they seemed sad or if they had a lot of emotion, I just was sure they were faking. Real life in Madisonville suddenly becomes like a murder mystery plot. Did, you know, Mr. Plum do it with a candlestick in the library? Everyone was a suspect in this case, except for me, because I knew where I was on January 12th. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Danger lurks in the American landscape. No one in their right mind would be out here, which makes it the perfect place to kill someone. Introducing Hot and Deadly from ID, your podcast for classic American true crime served with a side of biscuits and gravy. On each episode, you'll hear some of ID's most shocking stories of murder and betrayal, from the mystery of a preacher shot and killed by a bow and arrow to a former prom queen gone missing and found murdered. Listen to Hot and Deadly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you you get your podcasts. As mourners gather to pay their last respects to one of Madisonville, Kentucky's founding mothers, Anne Branson's nephew Jack can't help but wonder who killed her. From the day after Anne's murder, Jack began to piece the puzzle of the murder together. And Jack's not the only one. I was totally shocked by the brutality of the murder. It's not every day that you see an elderly woman, uh, a pillar of the Madisonville community, beaten and stabbed that bad. Kentucky State Police Trooper Ben Walcott approaches his work like he approaches his golf game. There are some similarities, in my opinion, between the two because you, you don't rush to judgment. You commit to a shot 
or you commit to a theory uh, in your investigations and you follow that out to the best of your knowledge. Madisonville police reach out to Walcott to assist with Ann's homicide. With our criminal lab, in my experience, it wasn't about the Madisonville Police Department versus the Kentucky State Police. This was a team of dedicated detectives from different agencies trying to solve this case. At autopsy, the medical examiner counts over 90 stab wounds. Well, there's a tremendous amount of overkill to, to this body. Her skull was crushed from behind. Uh, she had defensive marks on her body where she tried to fight her attacker off. To inflict that much damage on a body, that's not a typical homicide. This is somebody that was enraged. Uh, they, they snapped. The ME makes a note of the size and shape of the weapons used to compare to if a murder weapon is eventually found. The autopsy also proves useful in establishing a timeline of events for the night Anne was murdered. We were able to ascertain um, an estimate of her death, time of death. We were able to put her at church that night, and then when she came up from church, she ate some supper, and through the autopsy was able to ascertain the rate of absorption for the food in her stomach. Time of death is between 7 and 7.30 p.m. on the night of January 12th, 2003. Of course, that's important to us as investigators because then we're looking for suspects who don't have alibis for that specific time frame. Speculating that Ann knew her killer, investigators start the painful task of questioning Ann's close friends and family. What kind of person do I think stabs an 85-year-old woman 97 times? Someone who's attached to the person. When you get a case like this, it's like a large puzzle, and you're putting pieces together, and you don't know where the pieces are. The Winstead-Branson clan is fairly large, so it will take investigators a while to eliminate each one by one. At the point that we started questioning members of the family, all of them were cooperative. <laughs> Anne's housekeeper is also cleared but she provides police with a suspect of her own, Anne's handyman, Felix Bodwin. She suspected that the, the handyman might have involvement with the murder because he had been doing money transactions with her and had actually not been able to pay her back a certain amount of money. Just relax. Wait till Monday and I'll pay you back. And the handyman was very angry that he had said before that he could kill Anne. A background check reveals that Felix Botwin has been under the long arm of the law before. The handyman did have a criminal history, so he's obviously somebody that we wanted to look at. But a state law halts the investigation. He couldn't take a polygraph examination based on a heart condition that he had, um, so that wasn't a part of the evidence that we could use for or against him. Botwin claims to have a solid alibi. He was out of town the night Ann was murdered. We were able to verify that he wasn't in Madisonville. I did not think that the handyman uh, was the suspect that we were looking for, for one specific reason. He was a frail gentleman. And then you look at the amount of damage that Anna Mae Branson had to her body, he's in no shape or form to be able to do that amount of damage. 
Felix Botwin is fully cleared as a person of interest. There was multiple people uh, that were brought to our attention throughout this investigation that we had to follow up on and eliminate as potential suspects. And one man keeps rising to the top of the suspect list. One of Ann's tenants, Andrew Byerly. Anna Maya told me about her problems she had with her renters. One renter she had we called the crazy renter. He thought that he had ghosts in his house, and he would call her periodically to come over and chase the ghost out of his attic. Detective Troutman's familiar with Anne's lessee. The guy's been in and out of trouble before. You think that? I'll come get you! The crazy tenant did have a criminal history of some violent crimes, including one manslaughter charge. And manslaughter is nothing to sneeze at. The crazy renter agrees to take a polygraph, but that's when things get really crazy. The crazy tenant showed up to take the polygraph, but he and the polygrapher got into an argument. Was it the crazy renter in the basement with the lead pipe? Police are about to find out. Tom Clinton has been the executive editor of the Madisonville Messenger newspaper since 1978. During that time, he's printed his fair share of obituaries. But it's with a heavy heart that he prints the latest details about Ann Branson's murder. You hear about murder being a, a routine thing in cities like New York and, and Boston and so forth. So you don't think about it occurring in your town. Once this happened, I think people were a lot more cautious. There were a lot more locked doors and a lot more people being suspicious of folks that they didn't know. For Madisonville police detective Scott Troutman, Ann's eccentric tenant, Andrew Byerly, is at the top of the suspect list when he gets in an argument with the polygrapher. He wanted a guarantee that uh, the polygrapher would not ask him any questions pertaining to any violent offenses he might have committed previously in another state. And uh, the polygrapher could not guarantee him that he would not ask any questions pertaining to past crimes. You better not. You just stay out of my face. After all is said and done, Byerly refuses to take the test. But he is able to provide a solid alibi. The crazy renter was eliminated as uh, even a person of interest based on his whereabouts on the weekend of the homicide. Uh, it was confirmed by family members. Okay, thank you. And also, he had no motive to harm Miss Branson. Another suspect down. But as the investigative team continues to weed through Ann's family and friends, they get some very surprising results when a member of Ann's own family fails a polygraph. As the investigation progressed, we were led away from the crazy tenant, and Russell Winstead became a stronger suspect. Russell Winstead is Ann Branson's nephew. Russell is Earl Winstead's son. Earl Winstead was my mother's brother and Anna May's brother as well. The same brother who found Ann's battered body at the bottom of her basement stairs. Mary and I had hired two investigators to investigate my aunt's murder. And they said, do you know Russell Winstead? And my heart sank. 
When I heard how badly Russell had failed to polygraph, then I knew that he was the suspect. We were still hoping against hope that there had been a mistake made. I did not want it to be a family member. I didn't want it to be someone that Anne trusted. It seems impossible. Winstead was a pallbearer at Anne's funeral. They don't come any cleaner cut than Russell Winstead. The father of three can be found at church every Sunday and at the coal mines during the week. Russell was a mining engineer, and there would, of course, be emergencies at the mines. And people at work said that if there was an emergency, Russell Winstead would be the calm and cool, collected person. It doesn't bode well for Russell. But polygraphs aren't always 100%. And Russell has an alibi. On the night Anne Branson was murdered, Russell attended the 6 p.m. Sunday service, ran a quick errand, and was home for dinner by 7.30 p.m. Since the murder happened sometime between 7 and 7.30 p.m., there was not enough time for him to stab Anne over 90 times, clean up, and return home by 7.30. His wife can back him up. The first time we interviewed Russell's wife, her story was exactly like Russell's. Russell maintains his innocence. He agrees to take a second private polygraph to clear his good name once and for all. Cousin Jack Branson sets it up. I was more than happy for our investigators to do it, out of hope against hope that Russell might be cleared. Plus, we wanted to know who the real killer was. And Russell's father, Earl, has always suspected foul play. Earl Winstead, my uncle, was accusing the police here in Kentucky of badgering Russell prior to his polygraph, getting him all upset, and then giving him the polygraph. Russell himself is unfazed by the allegations. Earl said, Russell will take a polygraph if your investigators will do it. Russell rolls the dice again. The polygraphers that we hired treated him with kid gloves during this polygraph. They did not even use Anime's name in their questions to Russell. They did everything they could to make it gentle for Russell. And he failed it off the charts. It's a low blow to the family. Once Russell failed those polygraphs that badly, we just you know, we knew in our hearts that Russell did it. And so did the cops. But why would Russell kill his beloved aunt? What was his motive? Apparently, Russell Winstead has always been a bit of an adrenaline junkie. When Russell was a young adult, he tried his hand at being a NASCAR race driver. Actually went to a driving school. I don't think Russell ever was very successful at it. And he finally gave that up and went on to other things that would help his adrenaline flow. Like gambling. I think Russell Winston wanted to be wealthy, wanted to live the high life. And that's, I think, why Russell Winston got into gambling eventually. He felt that he was uh, somebody that uh, could make a name for himself. 
and make a name for himself, he will. As a high roller with a gambling problem that's reeling out of control. Russell's friend came forward and he shared with us that Russell had confided in him about his gambling debt. He had to pay his aunt back by Monday, the 13th. And he didn't know how he was going to get his hands on it yet. And he went to the casinos that weekend and he had lost everything. Did Russell Winstead lose enough money to commit cold-blooded murder? Or are investigators taking a gamble of their own? Everyone in Madisonville, Kentucky, knows someone in the Winstead-Branson family. They're fixtures in the small town. So when Russell Winstead is accused of killing his Aunt Ann Branson, it's the talk of the town. When I was at the grocery store, I heard two older ladies talking in loud voices about Anna May's murder. They were speculating whether or not Anna May had her rings on. I actually went over to the ladies and said, you might be interested to know that our rings were not taken, and uh, we'd appreciate you remembering our family during this time. But Jack Branson can't trouble himself with idle town gossip. Police have just uncovered a dark secret about his cousin that spells out motive. No one in our family knew that Russell had a gambling problem. Certainly not Anna May. I had no idea that Russell did. Ann Branson didn't know it, but she was Russell's primary source of gambling money. Anna May would loan money occasionally. If you needed it for something, she would trust you to pay her back, and, and there were family members that did borrow from her and did pay her back. And if you'd borrowed money from her, she would have a record of it. Records that patrol officer Kelly Rager finds in a second search of Ann's home. It was approximately $100,000 that Russell only had borrowed from Miss Branson. And in addition to his payments at the time of her murder, he still owed her $75,000. And there's the question of a $12,000 check noted in Ann's records that Russell paid her the Friday before she was murdered. It was to be deposited on the Monday she was discovered. The check was never deposited. It never was cashed. The check has never surfaced. Texts from the Kentucky State Crime Lab search Winstead's house looking for any traces of blood or forensic evidence that will link Russell directly to the crime scene. I was optimistic when we, when we arrived at the home and located several clothing items, uh, several pairs of shoes, several pairs of boots, and there were some knives, uh, edged weapons that we recovered. But I wasn't overly optimistic because by now, investigators and myself had determined that Russell, uh, he, was, he was smart. Nothing police confiscate ties him back to Ann Branson's house. Next, they search Winstead's vehicle. We didn't locate uh, any, any items pertinent to this investigation in his truck but his truck had been uh, detailed. He had paid particular attention uh, to his driver's seat and to the, to the armrest, the driver's side armrest on his door panel. 
How does a guy who works in the coal mines have a truck that doesn't have a speck of dirt, not a dirty steering wheel, not a dirty armrest, completely spotless clean? Police appear to have hit a dead end. But then, an interesting turn of events turns the case against Russell around. It all starts when he and his wife separate. She uh, filed for an emergency protective order, and Russell was ordered to vacate the home. Later that evening, we catch Russell's truck going back to the residence. Officers stop it and find out it's the fiance to Russell's niece. We talked to him, and he says that Russell instructed him to go back to the house and get some things. One of those things was a knife hidden between the mattress and box spring in Russell's bed. We knew a knife was what killed Ann Branson. And why, at 1.30 in the morning, does a knife need to be retrieved from underneath a mattress in your home by a family friend? Is it the break investigators have been looking for? We took the knife to our medical examiner, who did uh, multiple measurements on the, the length of the knife, uh, the width of the knife, the depth of the knife, and several of those measurements added up with, were consistent with the injuries to Ms. Branson. But there is no evidence on the knife linking it to the Branson crime. It was the conclusion of the lab personnel that the knife had been thoroughly cleaned uh, and most likely had been cleaned in bleach, which would eliminate any kind of blood evidence. There may not be blood on the knife, but the chips are starting to stack up against Russell Winstead. Commonwealth attorney David Massimore coaches his son's Little League team. And as any good coach can attest, the road to a grand slam is paved with singles. Massimore has been keeping a close eye on the investigation, and Russell is batting a 1,000 these days. At some point in time, Russell and his wife separated. About a week or so later, her lawyer called me and indicated that he wanted to talk to me because his client had not been truthful in her interview. The interview, when she established Russell's alibi the night Anne was murdered. And she said that Russell had dropped the children off, that he had not come right home, as she had been told to say, and a lot of time had passed. So there was enough time for Russell to kill Anne and clean up before coming home. When you superimpose the timelines and you superimpose the evidence that was collected about Russell Winstead's extreme financial hardship, it became apparent that this was a planned event. Russell Winstead had the means, the motive, and the opportunity to kill, and that he did so. On July 15, 2003, Six months after Anne's murder, Russell is charged with one count of murder and one count of robbery for stealing the $12,000 check he gave Anne. But when investigators go to arrest him, he has disappeared. When I learned that Russell Winstead had fled the jurisdiction, I was stunned. Because Russell had family here, he had a job here, he had everything to lose by fleeing. Unfortunately for investigators, Russell didn't see it that way. We discovered uh, 
that Russ Winstead had, had uh, fled the United States and left on a one-way flight to Costa Rica. Costa Rica is a smart choice for a man wanted for murder. He knew that Costa Rica is a Catholic country, and he knew that Costa Rica does not recognize the death penalty. Therefore, he knew that his chances of us getting him back and having to waive the death penalty uh, was a big hurdle. But it's a start, and an unsuspecting accomplice will finish it. During the course of the investigation, we obtained information that Russell's father, Earl Winstead, was wiring money to him in Costa Rica. Money which Earl had inherited when his sister Ann Branson was murdered. It sickened me to know that the victim's money was being sent to aid the person who actually committed the murder. So the team sets up a sting operation to catch Earl in the act. After approximately eight to 10 transactions that we had monitored and carried out ourselves, uh, I obtained a search warrant and arrest warrant for Earl Winstead. Russell's father is arrested on seven counts of conspiracy and hindering an investigation when he is caught wiring the money to San Jose. Earl Winstead, to my knowledge, had never been arrested prior to October 2003. Earl's arrest cuts off Russell's main source of funds and helps determine his general location in Costa Rica, its capital city. But how to pinpoint Russell's exact location? In February of 2005, two years after Anne's death, investigators get a break when the murder case is presented on TV. We knew Russell Winstead was responsible. And America's Most Wanted is a vital tool to help us do exactly what we needed to do, catch a fugitive. Within hours, authorities receive information that Russell Winstead is a high roller at the Horseshoe Casino in downtown San Jose. We later uh, obtained the surveillance video uh, footage from the casino, positively identified Russell as being in the casino that night. And then on May 3rd, he was arrested walking out of the casino by the Costa Rican authorities. Madisonville PD, Kentucky State Police, and the prosecutor's office exhaust all of their resources trying to extradite Russell Winstead from Costa Rica for the next year. The extradition process would take time. It would have to be handled through the U.S. Secretary of State's office and through those proceedings. In February of 2006, Russell is extradited back to Madisonville to stand trial. Every time that we came to Kentucky, Jack would go by her grave and he'd say, we're going to get him. And the day that he was caught, Jack had just walked by her grave and said, we're going to get him. And he was walking away and Ben Walcott called and said, Jack, we got him. And Jack went back, put his hand on Ann's grave, and said, we got him. And just when Massimore is ready to close the file on Russell Winstead once and for all. The only way I could get any peace of mind is by coming clean and to admit my guilt of killing Ann Branson in 2003 and Billy Cochran in 2005. A surprise confession turns the case on its ear. After all this time, do investigators have the wrong man? 
Madisonville, Kentucky investigators are stunned when a convict named Fred Roulette confesses to the murder of Ann Branson. The only way I could get any peace of mind is by coming clean and to admit my guilt of killing Ann Branson in 2003 and Billy Cochran in 2005. Roulette is a career criminal awaiting trial for a similar crime. We heard that there was a murder in a town close by, a stabbing of an elderly woman. Little towns like this, you don't have too many elderly women stabbed, but we never thought it was the same person. The problem is, investigators are only weeks away from trying Anne's nephew, Russell Winstead, for her murder. Once Roulette's statement surfaced that he was involved in the murder, we immediately sent investigators out there to find out what had happened. Roulette describes the events of that night in gruesome detail. The interesting thing is that Roulette was able to relate specific facts that only the killer could have known. But Massimore isn't buying it. The first thing that we did once we learned that he was offering this information was to contact Roulette's attorney and let him know that his client would be facing the death penalty if he confessed to this crime. Roulette retracts his confession. It dawned on him that he was, in effect, confessing to a murder where he could receive death, and that caused him to change his mind. And just to be sure, Massimore checks out Roulette's alibi. He was not in Kentucky when the Branson murder occurred and could not have been involved in her murder. But why would an innocent man confess to a crime he didn't commit? As coincidence would have it, Fred Roulette had a cellmate in his Hopkins County cell. Fred Roulette was incarcerated in the same jail pod with Russell Winstead. And Russell Winstead would do anything to beat his own murder rap. Russell approached him and he said, if you'll confess to both crimes, I will take care of you. You will get money for your children and you will get money put in your account in prison. Winstead is a manipulator and he realized that Roulette could be manipulated. Roulette had pled guilty to murder and was facing a lengthy prison sentence. He convinced Roulette that if he confessed to Miss Branson's murder, he couldn't get a longer sentence. What Roulette didn't understand is the extradition treaty didn't protect him. He could receive death. The stunt backfires. Roulette was able to relate specific facts about the murder that even we did not know, which only reinforced our belief that Russell Winstead was the killer. I told you that the question would be who done it. But the reality is there is no one else other than Russell Winstead who had motive, opportunity, and access to the means to kill. Russell Winstead is finally convicted on August 30th, 2007. To ask 12 people to step back in time and to find beyond all reasonable doubt that something happened is a very difficult burden to meet. 
the men and women we work with had done their job and done it well. He is sentenced to life without parole for Ann Branson's murder and 20 years for stealing the $12,000 check that has never been found. Investigators have pieced together the events of the night that Ann Branson was murdered. Russell Winstead was into his Aunt Ann for over $75,000. And she had had enough. I can't take any more of it. On January 12th, Russell went there to get his check back. Oh, Anna Mae, you know, woe is me. You've got to give me that check back. Just as pleased one last time. And when Ann would not give him that check, he had determined what he would do. Unbeknownst to Anne, Russell doesn't leave, but goes out to his truck to get a hammer and knife. I think premeditated because the murder weapons were things that Russell would have brought with him. When he returns, he finds Anne in the basement. Russell's rage gets the better of him, and he stabs her over 90 times. If she had taken the check to the bank on Monday morning, that $12,000 check would have bounced. He would then have to explain to everyone why he was writing these checks, and his gambling would have been discovered. His world would have crumbled. He came back later that night to clean the crime scene. We have an independent witness who puts Mr. Winstead back at Miss Branson's home approximately midnight that night. Russell Winstead took the ultimate gamble and lost. With the mystery solved, Madisonville, Kentucky can return to being the best town on earth. And with it, Mary Branson can live knowing that her beloved aunt's killer was finally brought to justice. Everybody in that town had been watching the trial. It had been front page news because that town would not stop loving and caring about Anne. The Branson case is one that investigators will never forget. Somebody comes into my hometown and takes out one of Madisonville's best people. It's personal because you don't do that in Madisonville, Kentucky. My immediate reaction was about time. I'm glad that we finally got him. Of course, we have sometimes have homicides in this county, but majority of the time, it's a domestic violence or a drug deal gone bad. But uh, that one was just a, a flat-out murder. But for Jack, knowing that the killer was a family member will always be a hard pill to swallow. Russell Winstead has always denied killing anime. He said, I could never do that. I loved her. Uh, I could never do that. I, I did not do this. And he has denied it to this day. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.